This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's the Now News Panel on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown, joined by Michelle McQuig and Judah Gupta. Let's address the next topic. The CEOs of climate-related charities are making some real green. (laughs) Canada Canada Revenue Agency data shows that 17 executives of climate charities earned over $200,000 per year. And a big shout-out to the Canadian press for crunching that data. Mm -hmm. You'll find some recognizable organizations at the top of the list. Ducks Unlimited Canada, the David Suzuki Foundation, World Wildlife Fund Canada, and Nature United. Just a bit of counterbalance before the bigger conversation. 864 charities were examined, and 59% of those charities rely solely on volunteers, and 14% have employees that make no more than $40,000 a year. Michelle, you brought this one to the table. I did want to offer that last little bit of context, just to sort of explain the sample and sort of talk about maybe the narrative that gets built around this, understanding that nearly 90% of charities in this sector are not paying six-figure salaries to their executives. <laughs> yeah, that, that is extremely fair. That That's I do find this very interesting, and you know, I I'll echo your praise from my colleague Pierre said, "Now, no, great job with with this one because it's it's quite interesting to see how it goes, and to see that it's all concentrated in this in or mostly concentrated in this one sector too. Uh, I find that kind of interesting, but yeah, th- th- this this raises all kinds of questions to me about our expectations around charities, around the, the, the we hear lots of discussion around the disparity between CEO pay and employee pay in mm-hmm, the business world. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's a thread we to just start exploring on the charity side. We don't have the data, to be fair, on on, on pay, but we do know that the not-for-profit world is not exactly lucrative for those who choose to work in it by and large. Uh, so I think that's an aspect to consider, but also just it, conversations around compensation are interesting and raise questions about the value of people's work. So I suspect there is a knee-jerk response of, oh, this, these these numbers are ridiculous, and in some cases, perhaps they really are. But there is there are discussions to be had around what is of value and how to compensate people adequately for necessary skills and time. So there's there's a lot here, and I thought this would be just a, a, a good way to, to start exploring some of it. Yeah, Juliet, I've got a few more numbers to throw around here, but, but I want to give you the first opportunity to uh, sort of react to the story more generally and talk about the idea broadly of how you feel about executives in the charitable sector. Again, really want to underline this, the charitable sector making six-figure salaries. Well, honestly, uh, my first reaction was envy. I wish I was making something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, my God. But all jokes True. aside, uh, I, I, I think... Um, it's really worthwhile to put the number into context. We are really talking about a minority, a minority of charities and even a minority of executives within charities. It is very much in the confines of the environmental movement where we're seeing these exorbitant salaries, even for CEOs and uh, you know the top level management. I, I think what makes this whole conversation interesting is because 
when we think about charities, we have very specific expectations of of charities. Um, I think a lot of charities, uh, even if they don't, you know, even if they don't rely on donations as their primary source of funding, there's still a, a perception that charities are relying on donations in large part to do something that is conceived of uh, as a public good or, you know, many are not, and, and being nonprofits at that. Uh, I think there's a, a degree of accountability that creeps in where people are asking rightly is my donation going towards the cause yes, or is it going yes, to support yes. someone's exorbitant inflated salary or fundraising effort? So that is a whole other layer that adds to this conversation. I think what's interesting for me in this whole story and this whole conversation is how the charitable sector has really been corporatized, where there's a perception that in order to attract good top level managers. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. You have to have these exorbitant pay packages without which you will, why, well, I don't know what, lose them to the private sector. And I think that shows a can deep I build on, mis- hmm? To build on that too, the, the flip side is people are expected, the people who choose to work in non-executive positions are exposed to be driven by passion alone and be content yeah. to go without living salaries. Yeah, that's well. That's th- the that... other side of it. Yeah, exactly. People are driven up, are supposed to be passion driven, and as you heard, fourteen percent of people who work in charities make under forty thousand dollars a year, which is, frankly, like peanuts, especially if you live in a place yeah. like Toronto, or Vancouver. It's nothing. Uh, but I think the the bigger piece here is, you know, there's this widening wage gap between the rank and file that does a lot of the grunt work and these exorbitant executive salaries. And I think it might be worthwhile, as you say, Michelle, to look at the charitable sector and ask to what extent that wage gap has widened in the last couple of years uh, and why that might be the case that it has gotten bigger as, as I suspect is the case. Here's once again where I shout out the work of people who do incredible number crunching, not just Michelle's colleagues at the Canadian Press, but there's an organization called Charity Intelligence Canada that just does amazing work on this file, trying to figure out the impact of your donated dollar to different charities and does a lot of work of breaking down uh, what executives are getting paid in different charities. And let's just say there's a lot of, I'm not going to name the organizations, but I'll allow you to do this research on your own with Charity Intelligence Canada. There's a lot of people who work in the disability sector who are also making uh, massive, massive salaries. And then we'll turn around and talk about, oh, the poverty of disabled people. So uh, yeah, just keep that in mind a little bit too. So then, Michelle, let, you, get, you, you mentioned the expression knee-jerk. And certainly my knee-jerk reaction and my general feeling is if you want to work in the charitable sector, you want to work in the not-for-profit sector, you should not expect massive salaries like those things should not go hand in hand especially if a ton of charities or if that charity's core purpose relies on volunteers right that 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 just doesn't equate to me i'm not comfortable with it i don't like it but i do also understand the notion of paying people living wages and Mm -hmm. 250 grand is a ton of money but like a six-figure salary in a city like toronto or vancouver like if someone was around the $100,000 mark, like it, it doesn't go as far as it used to, right? Like yeah, I, I, I think when yeah. we think about things no, like this, the, the sunshine list or, or those kinds of what are people in the public sector making, like you, you have to, you have to at least put these things into the context of what inflation is and what cost of living is. But here's where I bring in a little bit a more counterbalance, Michelle, I promised you more statistics. 
The Center for Policy Alternatives put out some numbers this week about CEOs in the private sector. The top 100 CEOs in Canada earned on average $14.9 million in 2022. Yeah. Uh, the, the person who runs Restaurant Brands International, so I think Tim Hortons, Popeyes, uh, Burger King, got over $100 million in compensation. By the way, mostly in stock options, which means you can't tax it. So that's a whole other thing that keeps me awake at night. Um, but that's it, Michelle. When I think about the knee-jerk reaction, I don't like the idea of executives and charities making six figures. But what really keeps me awake at night and where I really get knee-jerky is when I see $15 million on average of, like, basically untaxable income going to CEOs in the private sector. Like, that's what keeps me up at night, not how that's, charities are, are getting paid. That is more than fair. And, yeah, look, all of this does really go to show that the not-for-profit sector really is not – it still is not a lucrative one. If, 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 those, if that's our – Point of comparison, then a CEO taking home 250 grand compared to his compatriot taking home 14 million probably does feel like that underpaid worker who, who's taking home minimum wage at best. <laughs> but, it, it, you know, the other question that this raises for me is the role that charities play in our society. Yeah. A lot of the times, charities are, are, are stepping in to plug holes in the social safety mm -hmm. net to do the kind of advocacy work that, does, that, that often drives government policy. They do play a really important role. And I think discussing, discussing compensation without accounting for that aspect of what charities do um, would be a bit disingenuous, too. So it's, it is a really complicated conversation for all the reasons you talked about, comparisons of the private sector, but also just the function that charities perform in the society. There can be a tendency to over-rely on them so they can get extremely undertaxed even with these limited resources. Like, it, it's it's not as simple an issue as one's knee-jerk reaction, including my own, I think, would have us believe. Uh, Joita, Michelle brings in the notion of expectations mm -hmm. there, and that's something that's come up, especially when we've been talking about food security in the last year, mm -hmm. where food banks have been relied upon to solve food insecurity rather than the actual societal issue being fixed. And I think Michelle maybe is onto something there about the expectation and the pressure mm -hmm. that we as a society, uh, socially, have put on charities to now what used to be a stopgap is now the only thing hold, holding some, some societal structure together. Yeah, I mean, the role that charities play is twofold. Um, there's a service component, as you rightly point out, when it comes to things like food banks or um, uh, supports around housing or even environmentally, picking up the slack and doing a lot of the work that by all rights should be done by the government. And you have the nonprofit industrial complex stepping in where the government is not filling in on a permanent or semi-permanent basis those things that the government should by all rights be taking stock on whether it's you know food security issues whether it's housing issues whether it's environmental issues i mean it, it it's run it, it across the board you talked about people with disabilities a lot of the services that are provided to people with disabilities come via the um the nonprofit sector yeah, and yeah. there is an, a very compelling yeah, very argument so. to be made that 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 those things should actually be provided by the government or by the state yep. so you know, when you think about that, it's uh, it's important to think. So that's one part of the of the conversation. But the other part, of course, is that many charities do have, uh, as part of their mission and mandate, an advocacy function and a lobbying function. And you see a lot of that when it comes to environmental groups lobbying around the climate, lobbying around preservation of of you know our natural resources and forestry and what have you. I mean, and 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 so when you think about the dual role that non that nonprofits and charities play, it does bring this question of compensation for CEOs into relief. Uh, 
you know, should people who provide vital services uh, be compensated in a in a in an appropriate fashion? Absolutely, and I would argue that goes across the board. Yeah. Um, and make my earlier point about looking at the wage gap and the disparity between the rank and file and the CEO salaries that we talked about. Uh, but at the same time, it does become a little more complicated when you think about the advocacy function of many of these charities, and that yeah. it does, I think, compel us to ask more critical questions about some of these salaries. I mean, definitely. I hate to say, but I can make justification, I can you know, provide justifications for why, say, the premier of a province that talk about Doug Ford and Francois Legault both make over $200,000 annually. I can see a justification for that as a way to prevent corruption, same with judges, same with police officers. You pay them large salaries in the hopes that they don't take bribes. Um, and you have to really wonder what is the incentive to stack the deck like this and pay exorbitant salaries, $250,000 for some people working in, in nonprofit sectors. What is actually being accomplished other than sort of feeding into this corporate notion that the more you pay, the better talent you'll attract? Unless it's me, of course, because then you'll attract amazing talent. Uh, okay, one last thread to pull on here, and, and we need to be quick on this, guys. Got to be quick on this. But there, you guys both mentioned government as part of this, whether government should be stepping in to fund some of these societal ills. But what happens is the government ends up funding a lot of charities. And once again, I will pop into the time machine and remind you of a little charity named We that almost got like millions and millions and millions of government funding and a huge scandal broke out. And I think about this, Michelle, I think about this question. How should executive salaries impact whether a government offers funding to a charity? And I'll answer my own question before I even give you a shot. It should matter a ton. The government should not be paying these executive salaries of charities. Like governments, when they're giving money to charities, should pretty much solely be giving money to charities that are volunteer driven. Or strictly for programs. Strictly for program mm -hmm. delivery. Yeah, yeah, that would I, I would I think a lot of people would probably be happy to get on side with that. The, the the political optics, especially when you consider the advocacy function that Joita so rightly raised, it gets really really complicated at that point. So yes, I think that would be fair thing. The other aspect, and it's this is too arcane and and, and complex to really get into now, but would be to just restructure or, or revisit how governments allocate funds in general and, and you know, who qualifies for charitable status, uh, how funds flow. There's, there's a lot of complicated mechanisms that could be looked at. Joita, I put my cards on the table here. Uh, I get what Michelle's saying, but even then, the, the way the accounting works is, oh yeah, give us this money for services, and then some mo other money sort of falls out of the service and finds its way back into the executive's pocket. Mm -hmm. I know I know it sounds pretty absolutist in the way that I'm phrasing it, but I'd all, I, I would prefer if governments are only funding volunteer-driven charities and not paying the salary of an executive. Well, I mean, I think even with volunteer-driven charities, you still have an executive, someone who's paid, who's actually keeping the thing going. I mean, even yes. if you have a, a place that is entirely run by volunteers, there's often a component of someone doing some paid work to back up that establishment. But that's besides the point. I agree with you. I think uh, seeing salaries, uh, seeing the government primarily pay for funding is uh, primarily funding programs rather than advocacy efforts is I think what we would all be most comfortable with. But also this funding doesn't come you know, free. There are strings attached, as many charities would tell you. The moment you start taking government funding, they also do put restrictions on how much time and effort you can actually spend on advocacy work. Uh, for many organizations, I think, uh, you know, 
you can either spend 10% of your total budget on on advocacy and the rest of it has to go towards programs. So there is a, a relationship between the funder and those who get the funding uh, that yes, determines what true. and how much advocacy you can actually do. And then the other piece around this is I think we also have to consider this whole conversation in terms of the total percentage of um, of a nonprofit's budget. So, I mean, if you're paying someone a $250,000 salary, but your annual budget is $10 million, you know, that's a very different conversation versus paying someone a $100,000 salary when your total budget is $300,000 in the year, right? So I think the total percentage of of of, of your funding envelope is a really important uh, bit of information that provides some context when we have this conversation mm -hmm. about CEO salaries. Charity Intelligence Canada. I'm going to shout them out again. Charity Intelligence Canada. They do awesome work. And if, you're ever, if you are in the market of donating money to charities, they give you a pretty good breakdown of whether your dollar is actually going to go uh, impact people's lives. Charity Intelligence Canada. That's I'll just keep reiterating that over and over and over again. Okay, let's put this one to bed. But coming up after the break, a member of parliament has introduced a private member's bill that would eliminate mandatory oaths to the king. How do you feel about that? This is the Now News Panel on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.